and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast, currently supported by Pet Plan Equine. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, the Olympics is over. I am home from Tokyo, feeling quite jet lagged, but uh, I'm already missing my little my little home in the uh, press office at the Equestrian Park and standing in the mix zone chatting to all the riders. It's definitely back to real life with a bang. Of course, we're not letting go of all the Olympic excitement quite yet. Our guest interview today on the podcast is with Tom McEwen. Tom, of course, is also just back from Japan. But rather than just coming here with a case of dirty laundry like me, he has a team gold and individual silver medals hanging around his neck. And we spoke to him about what made the Olympics different to any other event. Everyone knew it was the Olympics and it it changes things. It's not about money, it's just something special about it that everyone knows and hears and it's, and it's something to fight for, really. We'll be reviewing the show jumping from the Olympics and also talking about the outcry around the modern pentathlon competition. While in non-Olympic news, there's been a new concussion inquiry which we'll be chatting about as well. Finally, personal trainer Katie Bleatman will give her thoughts on lower back pain, which is such a common ailment among riders. This is one of the biggest pain points and issues that riders face. So anyone I've worked with over the last few years, it is always a goal to build core strength and help to alleviate lower back pain when they come to me for training. More from Katie later. For now, pull on your britches and let's get going. I'm Catherine Austin. I'm Horse and Hound's hunting editor, but I've also written about all three Olympic disciplines for some time. I'm delighted to be joined by Tom McEwen, who just a couple of days ago won individual silver and team gold medals in Tokyo. How are you feeling now, Tom? <laughs> Jet lagged. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's incredible. Um, waiting for the waiting for the horses to come home today. Waiting for Celia to return. They are safely landed in a lorry and heading to Calais to get back into the UK and should be home at about two three this morning. So yeah, looking forward to having him home safe and sound. And I just could not be happier really. And what was it like out there, sort of day to day? It's such a funny thing for event riders to be somewhere and only riding one horse for a, a long period of time. Okay, you do it at major three days, but did you have a lot of downtime? What, what did you do with yourself? Well, yeah, we had an awful lot of downtime. Richard Waygood, who's sort of in charge of us and, and in charge of the whole British question, really, this, this time around for this Olympics, has done a fantastic job in getting us the most lovely hotel in Yokohama. It was about half an hour away, so there was a bit, little bit of travel time. Um, obviously, everyone's slightly different and everyone needs slightly different ways of filling their downtime. For me, I didn't have much of an issue. I fitted straight into the Japanese time. I could sleep sleep very well, definitely caught off a bit of sleep. Um, watched a lot of films, did a lot of uh, work on planning where the rest of the horse were going to begin with. And then sort of I did a lot of um, exercise, gym, uh, stretching, which is one thing that, as all the questions can probably understand, we're quite good. Waking up early in the morning, having a cup of tea or coffee and getting straight on a horse and cracking on. And then at the end of the day, just going to sit on the sofa. Mm. Uh, and stretching not being the top so actually I was very productive really and I absolutely loved my downtime (laughs) everyone else is slightly different but yeah um, I was rather enjoying it 
And the hotel, I mean, could you socialise at all, even with each other? What was that like? Could you eat supper together, that kind of thing? Yes and no. So basically the first 48 hours we were completely separate. There was obviously many tests to get on a plane to begin with and, and as probably people have read, there were a few athletes sadly failing their last 72-hour one which, mm. which did stop you completely from going at all. There were spit tests every day which was a Japanese thing and, and regulation. So the first 48 hours, um, because of track and trace and mainly the plane to be honest, we were kept completely separate. We ate in our rooms weren't allowed near the dressage guys to begin with and vice versa when the jumpers came okay. out. Um, yeah. We were actually in a sort of a holding hotel, I think, for GB athletes. So all the floors below us were full of um, different athletes doing all different disciplines that have just flown in that came in for 40, their 48 hours before going off to either their own hotels or the Olympic Village, the Athletes Village. Um, but, yeah, so we basically all food delivered to the room. Most of the time we spent in the room. There was... A little area upstairs where we had the odd team meeting and towards the end of our time when we definitely formed a, our own bubble we could wheel our food up there and eat up there but most most of it was done by yourself um obviously covid played a huge part in these games um mm. they did the most amazing job with it i must say um but obviously after putting so much effort in everyone did we all did our part to make sure that we weren't going to fall at a final hurdle, really. I know. Can you imagine? And did you see any other really cool non-equestrian athletes then? Yes, many. <laughs> many, <laughs> many. And I got, yeah, I got a bit obsessive. I love all sport, uh, any sport, any top-level sport. Um, even though I'm not very good with names, I'm very good with faces. And what I've seen before, I can, I can watch anything. So, yeah, if you love sport, it would have been the place to be, really. I bet, yeah. And what happens after the medal ceremonies? It's that funny sort of quickly medals, 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 ah, it's all over. What did you guys sort of do then? What what did you have to do, really? Yeah, so straight away after start getting the medals, obviously with two rounds of show jumping and the team coming first, and obviously we went out there to go and try and get the team gold, which we knew we should be able to definitely be able to achieve, but obviously being pressure on. That was sort of like a relief, but then having to sort of have an hour to refocus, walk mm. a new course and get ready to go again. I think probably the adrenaline probably lasted about three hours longer than it usually would. So there was probably a bit of a a drop, I would say, afterwards. Um, so for me and Laura, we um, we were immediately told we had drug testing. So we had um, people following us around, but straight away we have media uh, and bits and bobs like that. I can quite easily go to the loo for drug testing, um, but they fed us a <laughs> lot of water, so I had to hold on for hours and hours and hours uh, of media until I was eventually allowed to go to the loo, um, which was a definitely a huge relief. So I think at about half one, quarter to two, we finally got back to the hotel. So, yeah, it was quite a long late night for us. Um, and then, yeah, a little, little bit of a celebration. Good. I, I saw your BBC interview and you look completely and utterly zoned out, to be honest, zonked. Yeah, we'd done a couple of radio interviews and Oliver and Laura are brilliant at talking and we were talking to Claire and I saw her in a sound booth um, and thought we were just on Zoom doing it and I had no idea what it was for. I didn't realise <laughs> that people could see us. Um, and we hadn't eaten, so I actually had pizza on the side that I was trying to eat to attempt to keep <laughs> myself awake. <laughs> so I had absolutely no idea. At one point, Ollie does grab me and picks me up and puts me back in again. I was thinking, that's very odd. Um, but it, was, it wasn't until afterwards where Claire made a comment that I thought, um, this seems a bit odd. Had to sharpen up, <laughs> and, yeah. And, and, yeah, and then, I, then, I, then they told me. And I was like, ah, oh, that okay. was a bit of a, fa bit of a failure. 
And what about when you got home? I mean, it means so much, doesn't it, to everyone who works with you, for you, who's involved with you. Have what was the sort of reception like at home, and have you had a party? It was incredible, to be honest. It's like you say, it's a massive team effort from my parents at a young age to like the team I surround myself now at the yard to the team of owners to the sponsor that sports. I mean, it's just such a big team. But then, like you say. Olympics is not just for the equestrian. It's for sort of everyone I went to school with all of a sudden sees me on TV and realises what I've been up to for the last God knows how long. <laughs> Remember that boy we were at school with? Well, there he is. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. They thought well, I wasn't turning up because I was just messing around with my ponies and couldn't be bothered. Yeah, and <laughs> all of a sudden they realised what I'd been up to for all these years. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the reception's been amazing. Uh, we're having a bit of a... Well, we've had a few little parties already, but, yeah, we're having a bit of a party at the yard. Yeah, there's been a few media bits and bobs to do, so, yeah. We haven't had too much downtime yet. And do you get to go and question a sport? That's what I want to know. <laughs> yes. Do you? Uh, yes, we have been invited. All three of us have been invited, I think, for different appearances, but, yeah. Oh, that's so um, cool. <laughs> I would look forward to it. If it was more of a picture thing, I'd do very well, but I'm just not brilliant with names and holding them in my brain, so... Okay, so... a little nervous, although I do follow every single sport going. Well, you better start reading the papers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And I don't know, were your owners able to go out there at all? No, so basically it was, it was sort of, I, I'm not sure quite how it worked out, but with COVID and things changing before we went out there, obviously it was running the risk of maybe being shut down, locked down. Mm. Um, things, things did change when we were out there, and like we did at the Worlds, it's just being the most adaptive you can be really will basically survive the best in the end even though it was a lovely lovely show there wasn't a load of things to do you're either stuck in your hotel room or you were on the showground uh and it was hot and humid and there wasn't too many places to go um so owners were sort of slightly discouraged they must be dying to see you now though and 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 yeah, horse, exactly. obviously you've yeah, seen your so mum who partains yeah. the horse but yeah and i've seen penny and fred because they live right next door that's Penny and Fred Barker, yep. Fred Barker, they live next door to Gatcom, so as soon as I got back, I went, went and saw them. So, yeah, everything was a bit different, but, I mean, the British equestrian guys had done the most amazing job, and it was very well organised and slick, oiled, and, yeah, worked very well. I think most people that were in, in the Athletes' Village were actually more jealous of us being out of it, I think, for once. Yes, I bet. And, I mean, Toledo, who... If we ever needed any proof of how just how outstanding he is, he certainly showed the world. I was interested to read that you never jump him at home. Why don't you? And when did you stop doing that? Uh, I never started. Okay. <laughs> he's never, he's ne <laughs> yeah, basically, he's never jumped at home. I have tried and he absolutely fires off. Um, so because he's hot, sharp and, and the brain is very active, Rather than trying to drill him into sort of submission, so to speak, um, I have basically just used his powers with him. And we go and rent arenas nearby, but I can only jump the course once and never jump too big. Uh, and he's always just been so good at show, so I just trust him. I go along with him, um, and that's it. So once I'm competing, like now, I have basically gone from uh, Aston to Bicton to Kiso, didn't jump at quarantine, and then straight to the Olympics and I haven't jumped at all in between. How interesting. Yeah, and then in the winter I just take him rent an arena and, and take him out every now and again and go and pop a few fences, but he says when he's had enough because he starts darting off a billion miles an hour. But he basically <laughs> jumps very quick, 
and then absolutely takes off and a bit flat and then if he touches anything he panics so it's just really not worth it no for sure well yeah we just left it (laughs) yeah um but what's he like in general at home to sort of for the you know girls to deal with and that sort of thing yeah he he is really good um like most horses the more you're starting actually weird enough to build up for three days the best they become because the work becomes that much harder that much more continuous but he is really good um he's very selective over sort of it's only the getting on part that's really the difficult part especially when you've gone to show and he's a bit fresh that can be a bit funky but (laughs) <laughs> Apart from that, he is generally really easy. He says when he's le- when he wants to come in from the field, otherwise you can't get near him. Uh, in the stable, he's super easy and relaxed. Um, the same as the same as to show really, um, and like realistically, everywhere else he's he's brilliant. Really, he's absolute angel. Um, we worked out that he's been with me for nine years now. So mm. yeah, we, we've known each other for a while. That's for <laughs> yeah. sure. Well, to go into the second round and jump the way he did was um yeah wonderful for the rest of us at home to watch it must be felt pretty yes. cool on top as well <laughs> yeah i could definitely do it every day that's for sure <laughs> it seems a very long time tom since i first ever interviewed you which was when you were part of the winning vwh dressage team at the pony club championships and i clearly remember you saying well i don't really like dressage but um you've kind of got over that was there any point in your life when you thought I want to do something else or has this always been it? I've never really wanted to do much away from horses. There was a small brief week I'd say where I wanted to be a jockey because mm. uh, I thought it was easier but it's not easier. It's, everything's just as tough as one another sport and I'd have loved to have show jumped a bit but actually where I want to be competitive is so hard to get to. In show jumping? Yes, I think it's just un- really realistically unachievable. How much I'd like to do a bit of show jumping. I, For me, I want to do the Worlds and Olympics and be jumping on the biggest stage. And for me, I've sort of, we've built a platform here for eventing, so I absolutely love it. And I'll definitely be continuing with eventing, really. Yeah, well, you haven't done badly, have you? So, yeah. No, not best. at all. <laughs> and did you see Explosion out there thinking of show jumping horses? Yes, um, the most stunning horse, to be honest. We were very lucky because at the Worlds we were done in discipline and this time we were done um, in country, so it was lovely. So being the middle event of equestrianism, which mm. we usually aren't, we're usually the first, we got to be there with the dressage riders and horses and then they, they obviously left and went and we got the jumpers in with, with their horses. So to see all those horses, it was amazing. The only way I can really explain it is if you go to... Cheltenham Festival maybe or Ascot and you look at all those racehorses and you're like oh my god every single one of these is stunning yeah it was a bit like that like if you paraded every single one they may all be completely different be like they are all just the most incredible animals I must say yeah and that's why any of us are interested in it really isn't it because we love top class horses doing whatever they do completely yeah completely I mean yeah, like explosion is just strong and you can see in his eyes he knows he's the best and that's sort of how he holds himself. And it's a little bit how I'd like evaluate Toledo as well. He knows he's good and he sort of holds himself there. So, yeah, they're all very different, different sizes, shapes. Um, yeah, very much different disciplines and what they need to do. Although I think Toledo was trying to tell me he wanted to stay on for jumping <laughs> week as well. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, it was amazing. And, uh, yeah, like you say, I love seeing all the other horses. What's the next goal? What's, what can you and this wonderful horse do next? 
I don't, obviously it's Worlds next year, so that would be a definite aim, but sort of um, in the process of getting there. I, I love the Olympics, but I let him down a little bit, dressage, and realistically he sh- should have been, in my eyes, be going for gold rather than trying to make up places to get up to silver. So, yeah, we've got still a bit to work on. So, yeah, I my long aim is basically to go. I, I love Babington and Burleys, and they're definitely my aims in the Worlds, but it's definitely uh, three years' time again. To go one better. Yeah, to go back to Paris to do one better, because he definitely can he thinks two rounds of show jumping should be compulsory everywhere <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah basically yeah i'd love to go and do one better and i definitely think he's a horse that can i know every horse is different sometimes their age for slowing down is younger than others and sometimes they go on forever but the way he's pinging around at 14 they've had a they had a soft to easy year last year yeah uh, and he never runs too hard and i will continue to look after him exactly the same as we always have done um Select well and run light, really, and, and just look after him. So, yeah, longevity. Yes. All right, last question. If you had to bottle one feeling or one memory from Tokyo, what would be the one thing that you take away with you forever? I think probably just seeing the Olympic rings, really. Really? Yeah, just on a banner as we walked in, the first time we walked in, and the stadium was, I must say, the, what, the facilities they, they designed for us were incredible. Yeah, they were like arc and design to a specific place. I mean, the stables were just stunning, lovely big alley down the middle and the aircon worked amazing. The stadium was incredible. Considering there was sadly no one watching, the atmosphere the place still had, whether it was for dressage or for eventing, obviously we didn't get to stay and watch jumping, was special. And everyone knew it was the Olympics and it, it changes things. Um, mm. like I, read, I read a piece of Rory McIlroy, the golfer, because yeah. he was quite against golf being in the Olympics. And then he's just written a piece saying he was wrong. And never has he has he tried so hard to get come third. And I think that basically sums it up. It, it's not about money. It's just, yeah, there's something special about it that everyone knows and hears. And it's, and it's something to fight for, really. Well, how lucky we are that, that, you know, we did have managed to have an Olympics, albeit a year late. And... Um, how lucky we are that the three of you were so completely brilliant with your wonderful horses. So thank you. Yes, we're very, we're very lucky. And yeah, it was a great team of very special horses, that's for sure. Thank you so much for your time, Tom. Um, good luck with the rest of your season and we will speak to you soon, I'm sure. Thank you very much for having me. Well, we are going to review our final sport for the Tokyo Olympics, the show jumping. And I'm joined by my colleague, Polly Bryan, who was out in Japan with me. Hi, Pippa. And also our show jumping editor, Jennifer Donald, who wasn't able to come to the Olympics with us, sadly, due to limits around how many accreditations there are available and so on, but has been a huge part of our coverage, avidly following at home and supporting in all sorts of ways. And of course, putting all the magazine uh, pages to press for this week's issue yesterday. Hi, Jen. Hi. Oh, thank you for that lovely introduction. Yeah, it's been a bit full on. I'll put it that way. (laughs) I feel like everyone at Horse and Hound has been working so hard, not just Polly and I, but everyone at home as well and uh, everyone's looking a little bit jaded now but of course we just have to keep (laughs) pushing on. Jen it's lovely to have you with us today so let's start with you I want and I think I can guess what it's going to be but I want your highlight of the show jumping from Tokyo. Oh yeah I have to say that's an easy one. Ben Mayer's gold medal was something else I mean it's hard to put into words just what the achievement that he's 
done out in Tokyo, but also the the emotion of it all as well. It's um, yeah, it's been an absolute roller coaster watching. I have to say back here, but um, I think that's nothing in comparison to what he and all the team has been going through out there. So, yeah, I mean, that jump off round, you just, I mean, you can't even call it textbook. You wouldn't even imagine that jump off round was possible. What he and Explosion achieved in that arena was something else. And uh, watching them, you, you know, he's that horse that he never really looks like he's going absolutely flat out. So your, your heart in your mouth wondering if they're going to make the time, but watching him go across the arena to that brown oxer in the middle. And I think he said, you know, even the horse have questioned what he'd, what he was doing. He'd seen a stride a long way out and the explosion went, hang on a minute, are you sure? And uh, he said he took a breath and then just launched. And I think we all appreciated exactly what it was like jumping that, that brown oxer in the middle. It was, uh, it was absolutely a Pegasus moment. I think we'll all agree. It was amazing. So um, to see him come home in such a good round and then have to, wait and watch the other two it's uh it's such a tricky position for anybody to be in but uh it was the right result for great britain and i think the great everyone would agree that it was the right horse and rider that won so yeah absolutely phenomenal moment i think yeah definitely and uh, that moment when he took off so far out from the fence as well as peter Fredrickson's last fence flyer in the jump off were just both strides that you would think as you say, that they were impossible and it was incredible that those horses took them on. And I think the thing with Explosion is that he's he's a really unconventional jumper, isn't he, as well? Like Ben mentioned this in one of the clips that we used on the Daily Podcast. He doesn't jump in that real bascule way. He has a technique which is unique, but it does work for him. Exactly. It's, it's sort of, he seems to spend so long up in the air um, and kind of just hovers and then his front legs are doing things and his back legs are doing things. Yeah, as you say, it's far from the ideal, but it seems to work. And, you know, it, it's, as you can see, it's super effective. And he, he, he touched one pole, I think, in that whole Olympics. And, uh, um, and that was in the team competition. But other than that, he just sails and, you know, it's just, it, you could sit and watch it for hours. Well, I could anyway. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's so amazing. I'm, yeah. almost, I'm always astounded that he doesn't sort of waste more time in the air because it looks like he spends so much time over the fence because he sort of lifts up even higher, doesn't he? Even after he's taken off, but he doesn't. He doesn't he waste does. any time at all. <laughs> That's it. And he's so economical everywhere else. The way he can turn and I mean, that stride on him is just huge. So, you know, he's mm. taking strides out everywhere that everybody else is, you know, trying their best to. But, you know, for him, everything is so easy. And it's, yeah, I don't think, I mean, he said himself, well, he'll never ride a horse like that. I don't think we'll ever see another horse like that as well. He's just out of this world. Yeah, he really is. And one of the pictures that I saw yesterday when we were, when we were looking through, Jen, was of him in the jump off. And he was leaning over at an angle that I was like, how does he even stay standing up? It's incredible. Yes. <laughs> I think everything about that horse is out of this world. And yeah, on a on a different level, he's uh, amazing. But I mean, even seeing Ben's reaction coming over the, the finishing line, you know, that he didn't actually smile. You, you know, you didn't see any kind of emotion. All he did was sort of puff out his cheeks. And I think he must have, I think the both of them just held their breath for that entire round because... Uh, it was, I mean, it was all or nothing. Like you said, you know, you couldn't go in there and be fourth, you know, there's no point. You just have to go in and give it your all. And yeah, I can't imagine what it's like to go in and have to put in a performance like that when you've been building up for it for so long. And even on the day, you know, the nerves must have been building for so long. It's a, you know, it's a long wait to, for the evenings to to happen. So emotional roller coaster. 
Right, Polly, I'm moving on to you. Give me a different show jumping highlight from Ooh. the games. Okay, well, Jen just said that uh, went in there and you don't want to be fourth, but someone did have to be fourth. <laughs> um, <laughs> I My highlight, I'm actually going to pick um, Sweden's Henrik von Ekman. Not so much his individual jump off round, um, which was wonderful, but his uh, team jump off round, which helped Sweden win the gold medal because that was his sixth round of the Olympics and his sixth clear round of the Olympics and he was the only rider with King Edward his horse the only combination to achieve that even the other two Swedish riders who were clear up until the team final did each tip one fence in the first round on that day but no King Edward and Henrik stayed clear and when they landed at the end of that jump off of course all of our thoughts were, were with the um, the team competition who was going to win it was so tight between the USA and, and Sweden and it came down to the last two riders but I just was so struck by this little horse, King Edward, who, yeah, he, I'm not sure exactly how big he is, but he is not very tall. He's only 11. He's not hugely experienced. And yeah, he was the only horse in that entire field to have left the fences up all week. And he didn't, he never even looked like he was going to tip one. It wasn't, <laughs> you know, you didn't, you didn't watch him with your heart in your mouth thinking any moment something's going to fall. I was sort of watching him thinking, of course he's going to leave them up. Of course he is. <laughs> <laughs> As you say, he is a small horse and Henrik said that he was originally ridden by his fiance, Yannicka yeah. Sprunger, who then sort of gave, handed over the ride when she had their son. But Yannicka is quite a small rider and mm. Henrik is a tall, tall man. Got long legs, isn't he? He is. That's why I couldn't work out if the horse was small or if he was just very tall because, I mean, he is very tall. But uh, but the horse is not is not huge. And I, I really enjoy, well, I really enjoyed hearing sort of Henrik speaking after that about how, you know, coming forth earlier in the week did affect him. And he said it was really tough to finish so close to an individual medal. He had to, you know, really make sure it didn't affect his mindset. And, you know, he... he he really had to work hard to keep his focus and he definitely did because he didn't put a foot wrong for the rest of the week. Yeah, and uh, a big part of that Swedish team gold medal later in the week. Well, I'm going to pick out another different highlight, which is around the US team. I really enjoyed speaking to Jessica Springsteen last week and seeing her talk about the relationship that she has with her teammate, Laura Kraut and Laura's partner, Nick Skelton, obviously the 2016 individual Olympic champion for Britain. And Jessica trained with Laura and Nick for about five years from when she was 18 years old and benefited a lot from their advice there in Tokyo. And it was lovely also to see Laura talk about that and say, she said, we're like family, but she also said, Jessica needed no help you know from the very beginning she was a challenger and all that she Laura had to do was give Jessica a bit of encouragement a bit of direction and she said she wasn't in any way surprised to see her there with her standing on an Olympic podium so that was a nice thing to see that uh, sort of continuity down generations with riders helping each other and then standing on the podium together. Oh yeah, that's so lovely. I mean, she is a fantastic rider in her own account and, you know, she's got the extra pressure of all the media circus surrounding her as well. You know, it's uh, being the, the daughter of Bruce Springsteen comes with its own, um, I wouldn't say problems, but um, <laughs> challenges. Yeah, you know, challenges. <laughs> um, when you've got, you know, outside media, they just want to, you know, you're always getting snapped you know by 
paparazzi and things at these shows you know there's a lot for her to deal with outside of the ring so um no i think she's proved herself that you know she's she's a great rider in her own right and um yeah she she did her country proud that day it was a fantastic performance i was mega impressed with her um her jump off round as well because i think she'd had a, a a couple of rails down hadn't she in the sort of earlier part of the team competition and i just thought under so much pressure to pull out a clear round in the jump off you know for, for the gold medal uh was just amazing we obviously won silver in the end but um i just thought she rode the most amazing jump off round under so much pressure and it comes back down to what you were just saying jen about going in the arena and producing that performance like we said to jessica what was it like jumping off and she said it was wild um, <laughs> but then she also said you get the jitters waiting to see if you're going to have to do it but it's also super exciting and I was like oh my god if I had to jump off for a gold medal I mean if I had to jump off for a 90 <laughs> centimeter clear round I would be nervous but if I had to jump off for a gold medal I'm not sure I would think it was exciting but that's the difference between normal people and athletes is that they think that putting themselves under that pressure and having to produce their absolute best in that moment they think it's super exciting and that's great <laughs> it's great for the rest of us <laughs> <laughs> she was also at her championship debut uh, Olympic debut so and to be sort of sandwiched between Laura Kraut and McLean Ward you know you couldn't be in a better situation but with that does again come the extra pressure of being the rookie you know you don't want to let your team down against these uh, these other people so no she really held her own she was fantastic yeah definitely well moving on from highlights I am going to ask you each for a favorite quote from the show jumping at the Olympics uh, uh, I have to say listeners this is not an unfair question for Jen because she's had the opportunity to listen to a lot of sound files that Polly and I recorded when we were out in <laughs> Tokyo and uh, it was quite funny sending them back because it felt like we were giving all the rest of the horse and hound uh, team a look at our interview techniques which at time is, times is embarrassing but Jen was uh, kind enough to say that we've got some good quotes so <laughs> <laughs> right Jen a favorite quote from you so my favorite quote came from McLean Ward about his amazing horse Contagious who obviously did a, a sterling effort in the jump off for the team competition um, and he said um, originally I didn't think Contagious was an Olympic horse and he proved us wrong um, and he had to grow a bit he, and uh, I mean that just sort of proves doesn't it you know you can bring these horses to the Olympic stage and you don't know how they're going to react you don't know if they're going to be as good as you think they are or they're going to shrink under the the lights and everything so I think for a horse to come you know to come in and and prove how good he was and to win the silver medal it's it's a fantastic uh, fantastic quote from McLean yeah, and I remember when McLean said that, that he said he didn't think that Contagious was an Olympic horse. Now, the conversation moved on and I was like, oh, I really want to get back to that. I want to find out what, you know, what had to change for that to, uh, that to be the case. So, yeah, I'm glad I was able to get back to McLean and find out what it was, you know, that he said he was always very careful, but he was a little bit shy and didn't really believe in himself. But uh, he said he was a trier and a fighter and that he, McLean, was a trier and a fighter. So, yeah, I like that one. Definitely. Perfect match. Yeah. <laughs> Polly, how about you? I am going to pick one from uh, the other member of um, the Swedish team, Marlon Bayer-Johnson, who um, spoke at length about her mare, Indiana, who she's partnered for quite a while now um, and has obviously done so incredibly well this week. She revealed that the mare was incredibly difficult to ride when she was younger um, and said that she you know, really had close to zero rideability, which really struck me. And she said uh, that the turning point came actually when she started to jump bigger. She said, jumping bigger means she has to listen to me. Over small jumps, she can survive by doing it her own way, but jumping bigger, she realized she has to be with me. 
And she went on to say, even when she is at her worst now, because she's not entirely, you know, uh, fully rideable now, even when she is at her worst, she always goes in and tries her hardest to jump the jumps. And I just thought that, you know, that really sort of sums up the the partnership that the two of them have and the trust there is there and you know th- these these sort of partnerships don't just materialize overnight you hear a lot of people saying they've you know they've only had their horse a short time and they already have this amazing bond and they've gelled really quickly and that's wonderful when it does happen but a lot of the times it doesn't happen and it takes years and it takes effort and it takes a lot of struggle and yeah I just really enjoyed hearing about the journey that they've been on together and obviously such incredible results. Yep. And I am also picking out a horse quote. So we've all gone for uh, quotes about the horses, which is maybe appropriate. This was one from Jerome Gurry, who is one of the Belgian team bronze medalists. And uh, when he said it, I was just like, oh, boom, that's a moment. And he said if he had to take one horse to go to war, he'd take his horse, um, (laughs) which was Kelholm de Hoos, the uh, lovely bay stallion who does have a very classical technique, a real bascule. And he said he's just such a, a brave horse and uh, he's scared of nothing and and really sure of himself so that was a favorite for me right Jen I've got a final question for you I want to hear about a a surprise performance a standout performance from a rider who maybe wasn't a forerunner coming into this competition so I was most impressed with Japan's individual rider Daisuke Fukushima Um, to get through to the jump off in an Olympic Games is you know a massive achievement in itself but to come through and and jump another clear round and obviously he wasn't quite good enough for a gold medal but uh, I think for him that will have been his gold medal lifetime moment I mean it was a, a great performance and it was only sad that he didn't have his home crowd there in the stadium to cheer him on because I think that would have been a proper goosebumps moment. I think the whole stadium would have erupted just to see him, um, let alone to be in there fighting for a medal. And, um, you know, he's he has been to an Olympics before, you know, he's not uh, a complete nobody, but he's ranked, um, I think, 535th in the world. And he'd only done two five-star shows in the run-up to the Olympic Games. You know, he didn't have anything like the kind of preparation you would expect and hadn't actually jumped in a five-star competition in before that until Barcelona in 2019 at the Nations Cup final so you know he's not out there week in week out jumping the five-star shows getting the experience and and finding his form he came from a, a very limited experience and and did an absolutely sterling job so yeah he will stand out for me one of the, the absolute performances of the week in Tokyo definitely and a rider who I'm sure we'll be hearing more about in the future well thank you both so much for joining me to talk about our final Olympic sport from Tokyo it's sad to say goodbye to the games but Paris is only no. three years away Yay. <laughs> and we have the Paralympics to come in uh, just a few weeks so I'm looking forward to that in the meantime brilliant there's more to come from Tokyo so uh, yeah don't go away listeners we'll be back in due course with more about the Paralympics and so on of course but thank you to Polly and Jen for joining me So I'm here with two of my colleagues from the Horse and Hound News Desk. First of all, it's hello to our news editor, Eleanor Jones. Hi, Eleanor. Hello. Uh, Well, welcome back, Pippa. Ah, thank you. I'm very sad it's all over. So it must be a massive culture shock for you after living the Olympics for the last however many weeks. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm sad or happy. I'm happy to be home, (laughs) but I am sad it's over. I did say I would do that every day of my life if I could have more sleep. (laughs) (laughs) We also have with us our news writer, Becky Murray. Hi, Becky. 
Hello. How's it going? Not too bad. I think it's just been a bit of a Tokyo haze the past few weeks. <laughs> yeah, I think it has. I think uh, I said this morning, I feel more like I'm hungover than jet lag. It's just uh, <laughs> like this strange uh, aftermath. But um, Eleanor, we're going to talk about the Tokyo story first. And it's been really unfortunate that we have obviously had all the brilliant news coming out of the equestrian events in Tokyo, particularly with a lot of medals for our British riders. But our sport is sort of being tarnished in the eyes of the general public by... A story that's come out around the modern pentathlon from the Olympics. It's not a sport that we report on a lot, but of course it does involve a riding phase. Can you just talk through for us what happens in the riding phase of the modern pentathlon and what's caused this outcry? Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know, uh, the pentathlon comprises that they do fencing, swimming, running and shooting, and then there is this riding phase. And they have to jump a course of up to a metre 20 on a, on borrowed horses that they get, I think, 20 minutes to get to know and warm up beforehand. Um, and then they have to go in the ring and jump this 120 course. Okay, and what happened in Tokyo which has led to this story? So... Uh, there is some discussion usually about the the riding, the standard of riding in the modern pentathlon after uh, most Olympics recently. And there were some sort of less than great rounds. And, and the, the world governing body, the UIPM, said the, the number of refusals and falls in the women's event was slightly above average. But the, the, the thing that really sparked debate is this a German competitor, Annika Schlu who was in gold medal position going into the riding event and her horse or the horse she was riding saint boy was napping and and she was very upset and and she was using her whip and the coach uh used a fist to encourage the horse over the to to start and and she did get started and she got around a few jumps and then they went sort of crashed through a fence and the horse napped again and and then that was it he refused to jump anymore and there's sort of been a massive response from the general public about this. We've had 300 letters about it sent to Horse and Hound. And I think that Ingrid Klimke, the German eventing multi-medalist, she's sort of given her thoughts as well. What did she say? Yeah, well, she she said, you know, from from her point of view, as a as an absolute top level eventer, trust and harmony are, are the basics of of dealing with a horse, and and she sang how how can a horse and rider get to know each other well enough in twenty minutes to go and jump a course at that level? And she's saying, you know, that she doesn't think that's possible, not least at a, a, in a competitive situation like the Olympics, and that the rules should be reconsidered. And a lot of people are are saying the same thing, you know. And there there is there is a, a format change in the pipeline that had already been agreed. So in Paris 2024, um, the riding will be first and it's all going to be in a 90 minute, um, one 90 minute event. So there is change afoot, but there has, there's been lots of calls for rule changes on top of that. Yeah. So that change was something that was in the pipeline anyway, before mm. Tokyo, nothing to do with what's happened here. And you mentioned earlier the um, pentathlon governing body. What's the response been from them to this? So they've acknowledged they they put out a number of statements over the weekend saying they acknowledged the the, the large number of um, messages they'd had and that they acknowledged that it caused distress. Um, as I've already said, they said there were slightly more falls and refusals as normal, but they have said the experience of Annika and another competitor who also rode the same horse and, and, and didn't have a great time. They said that was unusual in at this level of pentathlon, but even having said that, they've got a duty of care to all participants, including horses. Um, and they've said they're going to conduct a full review of the riding of the women's modern pentathlon at Tokyo. 
and that it's they're going to reinforce the importance of horse welfare and athlete safety. Okay, well, we will look forward to more coming out around that story and seeing what develops, obviously. A gutting situation for a competitor if it falls apart, but mm. also, you know, obviously horse welfare at stake and the horses are not, uh, don't choose whether they take part in these competitions. So that's a really crucial part as well. And um, we'll look forward to see what happens next. Thank you, Eleanor. Becky, coming to you now, you have been looking at a story about concussion. What has sparked this? Well, last month, the government's Department for Culture, Media and Sport published an in-depth report looking at concussion in sport. And now this was following an inquiry where the DCMS was looking to find out a bit more following increasing media attention and reports that there's a link between taking part in sport and developing dementia later in life. The inquiry aimed to investigate whether the government needed to take any action and it received lots of input from different sporting bodies and health professionals. Okay, and what recommendations came out of that inquiry and report? Well, the DCMS has recommended that NHS England reviews how it collates concussion data and makes sure that doctors have full medical history available to better inform patient treatment. Now, other recommendations included the government mandating the health and safety executive to work with um, the sport's national governing bodies to establish a national framework for reporting injuries by July 2022, and also that the government establishes a research fund and specialist group to review emerging science on concussion. Okay. And you spoke also to the Medical Equestrian Association chair, Megan Hardman, I think. What did she say about riders and head injuries? I had a really interesting discussion with Dr. Hardman. Um, she felt that the re recommendations in this report are very useful. But what she really felt was that we need a bit of a culture change in equestrian sport around riders returning to the saddle a bit too soon after a head injury. She said it's about destigmatizing injuries and changing that sort of battling through injury mindset and being brave that we do seem to have in equestrian sports. I thought this was actually really interesting and I actually very much agree with her. There's so often that mindset of, oh, I need to get back on or even pressure from others that you need to get straight back on the horse. But on the back of this uh, DCMS report, um, the Medical Equestrian Association is now planning on producing guidance with British Eventing to really explicitly tell riders what they should be doing following a head injury. So this sounds like some really positive work to come out of this report. Mm, sounds interesting. As you say, we do have that culture in riding of getting straight back on the horse, but from a medical point of view, it's not always necessarily the most sensible thing to do. Mm. Thank you, Becky, and thank you to Eleanor for joining us today too. The Horse and Hound podcast is currently supported by Pet Plan Equine. Pet Plan Equine offers a variety of flexible horse insurance and rider insurance policies, catering for all levels of experience from the happy hackers to the dressage stars. Visit www.petplanequine.co.uk to find out more about the insurance that Pet Plan Equine provides. So now we're going over to Katie Bleakman, an online fitness coach and personal trainer who specialises in equestrian athletes. Katie has evented to a high level, winning Team Silver at the Eventing Pony Europeans. And now riders all over the world can use her online coaching programme, Event Rider Fitness. Over to you, Katie. 
So today we're gonna to be discussing lower back pain and riding, and this is one of the biggest pain points and issues that riders face. So anyone I've worked with over the last few years, it is always a goal to build core strength and help to alleviate lower back pain when they come to me for training. And the first thing that you really need to think about is understanding the cause of lower back pain and why you may be suffering. So there can be many different reasons for lower back pain. And it's important to kind of sit down and have a think about where yours may be coming from or what could be triggering yours. A lot of the time reasons for lower back pain can be your general lifestyle requirements and your possible lack of movement or your lack of mobility. Um, equally, if you are training like in the gym and you're training either not quite right or in a very intense style using bad form or overloading yourself with weight, you can also find that you're gonna suffer from lower back pain. You wanna think about things that you're doing every day. So say you're a groom and you work on a yard and you're constantly carrying saddles, you would probably without even thinking about it carry your saddle on your left hip time after time after time or on your right arm or you chuck a bridle on your left shoulder and I can guarantee you if you stop and think like when you're listening to this like oh what what hand do I use for this you will use the same hand every time just like you do when you're brushing your teeth and the same thing like it's relevant again to your lifestyle and your everyday requirements if you're maybe a mum and you spend all day carrying one of your children on one hip you are going to find that you're overloading one side of your body and you're probably going to suffer with a bit of lower back pain being overweight and carrying too much weight is a really big and important consideration for lower back pain as well. Obviously, if you're carrying too much weight, your lumbar region of the spine is going to be taking a lot more load and stress than it should be. And when something is required to take more load than it's designed to, it's gonna come to a point where it has to overperform and overfunction. And eventually what you'll most probably find is that it will break down and this is when pain will come in. So the biggest factor towards lower back pain amongst riders is having a more sedentary lifestyle. So when we're talking about a sedentary lifestyle, we are talking about how your day-to-day -day looks. And a lot of us spend a lot of our day seated. We are sat either at the laptop or in the car or in the lorry or on a horse. And like so many people will say to me, oh, I'm not sedentary, I ride all day. No, absolutely, you're not sedentary, but you are spending a lot of time seated with your hip flexors in constant flexion. You have got a little bit of spinal flexion going on, especially if you sit at the laptop, if you think about it, you probably easily sit, we all do with slightly hunched shoulders without thinking about it. And equally, you could spend like eight to nine hours sat in front of a steering wheel or a laptop and that's not gonna help. So it's important to understand that when you spend a lot of time um, seated, your hip flexors become tightened and you can kind of think of it as the front of your body. So everything from like your chest, your abdominals to your hips and your quads, you're the front of your thigh muscles everything becomes very tight and shortened and then in turn what happens on the back of your body everything becomes quite weak and lengthened and it's very very common amongst riders to have really tight abs hips front of your thighs and then have quite weak and lengthened glutes hamstrings and very weak lower back muscles so you need to consider what your general lifestyle is like and how that may be impacting your back pain Obviously, when you add in riding to the equation, that adds a whole other dimension in. There's not another sport where lower back pain would be a consideration, where if you think about it, if you're already struggling with the lower back pain, then you add 600 kilos in between your legs of moving animal. That is only gonna exasperate things because you are adding in more movement. And if you have mobility in areas where you should have stability, that can become an issue. So your body's a kinetic chain. Think of it from the feet up. Your feet are stable, your knees should be stable, and your hips should be mobile. 
well. Your lower back lumbar region should be stable, but if something is not as it should be, then another area is gonna compensate for this lack of movement or maybe too much movement. So say your lumbar region wasn't stable and it was very mobile because maybe your hips are immobile and therefore they're not moving properly, then your lumbar spine's gonna overcompensate and it's gonna generate more movement than it's designed to, which then obviously if you think you're sat in the saddle, you're banging up and down and sitting trot, that's just gonna go straight up into your back and it's definitely gonna cause you either back pain or what you might find as well is a bit of shoulder pain, upper back soreness. So that's a really important thing to think about. Your other area that can influence back pain a bit is your thoracic spine mobility, so your mid to upper back. It's quite a lifestyle consideration if you spend a lot of time seated. It's quite common for you to have very tight lats and pretty poor T-spine mobility. If you think in the gym and you had a bar and you're trying to press overhead, if you can't keep your rib cage down and your glutes underneath you, you're gonna end up compensating with your back. And again, like I mentioned, if you're training in the gym with poor form, this can be where back pain comes in. So it's really important to have an understanding of how to have full control of your body, your pelvis and your rib cage, because that is the key to being able to work your back safely. Um, again, like I touched on briefly, hip mobility can also be an issue. So you wanna think about alleviating the pain. Like if you've got a very tight front, tight pectorals, um, your chest muscles, tight hip muscles, tight abs, and you wanna spend some time stretching them. Um, whilst as well spending some time building the posterior chain of your body and strengthening your posterior chain. So when we're saying posterior, we're talking about everything on the back of your body. That is absolutely key for all riders and that should be the core focus of your strength training. Um, and obviously you want to focus on building your core strength if back pain is an issue. Like you want to think of your core as everything from your from chest to um, mid thigh on the front and back of your body. So, you know, you want to be strengthening all these areas. But equally, like I briefly touched on, it's having that understanding of how to maintain a neutral spine. So you can think of it as if you sit in the saddle with a bit of like a duck position with your rib cage shoved forward, that's in an anterior tilt, which is gonna cause you back pain. And you wanna make sure that you can effectively move your pelvis to either be able to put yourself in a posterior tilt, but then as well, when you're in the saddle, you want to be able to maintain a neutral spine. So understanding and having the ability to brace effectively and correctly and understanding how you control your pelvis and your rib cage is absolutely key. Your core obviously wants to be your main focus, but don't forget that your glutes are your powerhouse of your movement. If you just think about standing, like where is the center of your body before you even get on a horse? And a lot of you will probably say, oh, it's my core, my tummy. It's not. Look at where your body's made and how it's made. Your pelvis is your center of your body and like I said, your powerhouse. So you wanna focus on strengthening um, the muscles around that and that surround that. And obviously your glutes are going to be the biggest muscles that surround your hips. So you really wanna focus building strong glutes as well as improving your core strength. Another thing to consider, which is really important, is making sure that your saddle fits correctly. And that should be definitely something you consider. We've all been there when you've kind of sat down for too long, you've been at the laptop all day, maybe you put a different saddle on or you put your dressage saddle on and you're like, oh, that hurts my back a bit. But equally, if it doesn't fit your horse quite right, he's not really moving right, that's gonna create a different kind of movement and that may exasperate lower back pain as well. You wanna make sure that the saddle correctly fits both you and your horse 
nine times out of ten you'll probably focus on getting a saddle that fits your horse and you won't necessarily consider or ask your saddle fitter too much if it's the right saddle for you it fits your position it fits you properly it has you sitting in a good neutral spine and equally it fits your horse's movement so that when you then add yourself into the equation you're making sure that you're riding at your best and sitting in a correct seat not struggling with discomfort so if lower back pain is something you're struggling with on the whole, I do have a Facebook group with lots of other information in it. If you search KKB Fit, you can add yourself into the group and join me there. Katie will be back next week to talk about returning from injury as a rider. We'll also have an interview with an Olympic show jumper coming back from Tokyo and we'll review all the week's news as normal. Thank you for joining us today on the Horse and Hound podcast, currently supported by Pet Plan Equine. If you're enjoying listening to the podcast, why not rate, review or share the podcast in your app to help us spread the word. See you next week. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.